Welcome to another of the short podcasts uh, for Cood Street that Jonathan Straw and I have been doing since this whole thing began. And today I'm delighted to be able to catch up for a few minutes with the multiple award-winning poet and author and teacher, Candace Jane Dorsey. How are you today, Candace? I am pretty well, actually, considered. Well, you're doing reasonably well. You're in a pretty good uh, portion of geography. Nothing there, I gather, is on fire and you're a long way from any possible hurricanes. What what kinds of things do you have to worry about in Edmonton? Well, we're worrying about uh, COVID-19. Well, yes. Of course. Um, and the schools open. Ah, because yes. uh, we, have a, we have a right-wing populist government aren't necessarily listening to science. They're just, they're just in a hurry to you know, open things up. So That's school true. started this week and parents have been quite concerned and uh, everyone's waiting for the other shoe to drop really in terms of second wave as a result it, it seems likely that's going to happen everywhere it's happened just about everywhere where schools have opened at least here in illinois they decided to open virtually um but i, I gather the government you're complaining about is your provincial government yes yes the uh, education is a provincial responsibility here and uh Yes, indeed. No, the federal government actually um, gave all the provinces a huge chunk of money for um, improving school safety. So we're hoping that some of that filters filters down into smaller class sizes and so on. And you've been um, teaching online yourself. I have been. We teach at a, uh, my partner and I both teach at a university and I also teach writing classes. Um, and all of our university classes went online in mid-March and have been online ever since. And they've uh, chosen to do the fall semester almost entirely online. I teach in a Department of Communication Studies, which uh-huh. is a journalism major and professional communications major. So some of the studio work and so on, they're still finding ways to do that in person. But for most of the courses, we're just, um, we're just uh, changing to remote delivery. And I must say, especially when you're a sessional, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work. And um, it doesn't increase the, the wage that much, but um, the students are adapting pretty well, actually. I'm very proud of them. And um, I, well, I, I would hope that uh, communications and journalism students would be pretty much on top of this technology anyway, since that's going to be the way they'll have to do their jobs if they get jobs. Yeah, yeah. most of them are, are uh, just, you know, they have to do a presentation. They'll whip up quick PowerPoint. <laughs> it's like... Right. We did that in how many minutes and how many? The thing, <laughs> thing that I've noticed though over the years is that I'm having a sort of you know old person reaction where I think all oh, the kids are all right, but there was a period where our students were whiny, entitled, not <laughs> tremendously skilled, and um, and they didn't make an effort. And, and those people are gone. These this the students we've been teaching in the last few years have been committed and interested and um, uh, socially aware and change-oriented and just, just um, really, you think, yeah, you really think, well, it's going to be, they're going to do good things. Of course, as I recall, you teach a number of older students as well, right? I do, in my writing classes. Right. And because most of the students I taught when I was um, still a professor were, were older students, and I always thought, the thing I liked about them was that they knew why they were there. No, oh, yeah. If, if you're 40 years old, you're in college because you have a reason for being there, not because people expect you to be there. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that was the difference when I first started teaching at this university. It was still a, a college in those days, mm-hmm. and um, that was the huge difference between my writing students who weren't getting marks, but who were always right there and working hard. But they were taking this course because they they wanted to and they had something to do. Right. And, um, but I've I've noticed that um, we have maybe two or three mature students that are above 45 and Uh then a little range of them in their sort of 30s and and early 40s and then a large number in their sort of early to late 20s and i've noticed that um the commitment level isn't as age-related as it used to be there's still there's still some of the the youthful ones that Uh haven't figured out that they're not in high school but they figure it out pretty quick actually i'm proud i'm pleased with that's good to hear. Well, given um, I know you've been preparing classes and are, I guess teaching, but during this whole period, have you been getting any reading done? And if so, is there anything you'd recommend for us to either rush to or or flee from? Oh well, rush <laughs> to I think I can give you a couple of rush to. Okay. Um, rush to Sarah Smith's new book, Crimes and Survivors, which is part of her historical mystery series with um, Alexander Risden and, and Perdita. Um, the first one was uh, The Vanished Child. Uh-huh. And then and then the second one was set in the floods of Paris and involved artists. And, uh, sort of thing that combines it, historical fiction and mysteries. Yeah, um, it was called yeah. The Knowledge of Water. And then the third one was called The Citizen of the Country, and it was about the very, very early French silent film industry. And we're talking you know, the 19 teens. And oh. uh, and so it was also fascinating. But then there was this long gap and she just came out with a book this year in which Perdita travels to America on the Titanic. And, <laughs> you know, the usual excuse. But she's just such a tremendous writer and it's such a pleasure to see someone who's just so in control of really, really complicated material. So I, I love that. Mm-hmm. And I also read... Um, Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir, and then uh, most recently Harrow the Ninth, uh, second one of the series, and I uh, I found them just so truly original and really again complicated, interesting world. This one was of course a sort of combination of I mean I think it's basically science fictional but with with magic. So what do mm-hmm. you call that? And um, uh, in this really peculiar world, I mean, it's sort of punk lesbian necromancers right. um, of the far, far future. It's been the tagline since, yeah, since the very first one was lesbian necromancers in space. Yeah, and uh, and it really is that. And I don't even know how to describe it further than that. It's just <laughs> so it's so original. And you, to be honest, I've. I read a lot. I'm a fast reader. I read oh. a lot. And I find originality in shorter and shorter supply. I think um, so much of the so much of the reading I'm doing, I'm going to try and put this delicately because I've seen some really tremendous self-published books. And in fact, Sarah Smith apparently was the publisher of her fourth book, oh. um, which I didn't know, um, but uh, I admire heartily. But I also see a lot of people who are who are writing books the way 
that, that are the book equivalent of a breakfast sandwich. I know they're what you mean. Good. They're good. They're tasty. They're hot. They, they, you know, they're what you want. But uh-huh. after you finish, do you rave about them? Or, you know, I mean, they, they are entertaining. Some of them are decent, but they don't, they don't take on anything. They don't, they don't get their teeth think, the same way that right. something like Tamsin Muir's book or, or Sarah's book did. And I'm kind of sensitive to that. I was always a kind of get your teeth into stuff writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, probably my book that's coming out now is the least like that of anything I've ever had published, but that's, but, but I did it anyway. I couldn't help myself. Well, that's that's well, for later in the discussion. I mean, what well, I'm trying to get at is I, I love entertaining reading. Uh-huh. I mean, I will go back. I have a, I have a, a corridor lined with mystery novels and I'll go back and I'll read certain series and certainly during something like this pandemic, I mean, one of your questions that you sent in advance was, sort of, what do you think people should be reading? Uh-huh. And my answer is, in essence, read what read what you're ready for at the moment. And if that means rereading your old favorites, then then go for it. It's a very stressful time. And if you read a book that really puts you through an emotional knot hole backwards, um, yeah, I, have I, I, you have you a chain to catharsis or are you just putting more pressure on your on your emotions and only the individual reader can answer that a number of people i've talked to who have mentioned uh mystery novels not always classic mystery novels not always the the kind of holmesy and agatha christie thing but but somebody i can't remember who it was said that the appeal is there's a world in which there is some kind of resolution um and if you're living in a world in which we can't really imagine a coherent end game, by which I don't mean the end of the world, I just mean the end of our current yeah. situation, then then a world in which uh, Lord Peter Whimsey restores everything to order has got to be really appealing. Absolutely. Um, John Gardner called mysteries one of the moral fictions, and he, for exactly that reason, mm-hmm. he talked about resolution. And uh, um, John Clute does the same thing in his Encyclopedia of Fantasy when he right. talks about fantasy as a narrative that completed, by which he means there is an ending. Right. And, the, and often the ending either involves the reader's knowledge of justice or, or the correctness, even if it hasn't actually happened in the world they're reading about, or it actually involves kind of the land becoming healed and all those things. Right. It's the same. it's the same with mysteries. I also noticed that, and I think I saw something that, he wrote about this, but a lot of people, a lot of women, middle-aged women, read things like uh, the Reacher novels by Lee Child. Uh-huh. And, and um, I think I, I even saw something about this online, but my theory was it's because you can be six foot five and, and um, afraid of no one for a while, uh-huh. right? You can win. I and, can and see so, that. So uh, it's identifying with the hero is that or, ident- or is it simply identifying with competence it's identifying with competence and also justice and and just outcomes right and a kind of right relation with the universe you know if the bad guys um win if the bad guys lose to the righteous hero um no matter who that is or how how that loss takes place then you get a sense that the world is back on track now a lot of a lot of mystery novels you don't get the full resolution. You get the understanding that it's an imperfect solution. Right. But even then, people are somehow pursuing the 
idea of, of just well, as we've, we're talking about mystery novels. Let's go ahead and talk about what you've got, what you just got a starred publisher's weekly review for. Congratulations. I'm glad you should see me. I'm still grinning. Um, yes, I, I, I was writing a great looming serious novel, mm-hmm. which I did finish. Um, but I was also going through really hard times. I was taking care of elderly parents and so on and so on. So I, just mm-hmm. as a kind of a release, I started writing a mystery series. I kind of did a Nicola Griffiths and, uh, yeah. and moved to mystery. Um, and a fairly kind of lighthearted voice, uh, a smart-ass, wise-cracking, nameless first-person narrator who is a downsized social worker, and she down to her last box of fish sticks, and, uh-huh. uh, which she's sharing with her cat, Buckwit, who, whose name she has just changed to Bunnywit so that she doesn't offend her fundamentalist cousin, but she hasn't quite got used to that yet. And right. she gets called in to help a friend, um, uh, at the very least, keep the pressure on the police about the murder of her granddaughter. And it all goes on from there. Well, give us, the, I, title. Give us the title so we'll know what to look for. It's called The Adventures of Isabel, and it's the first of a series. It certainly it's published, sounds, yeah. It's published by ECW Press in Canada, and they have good U.S. distribution. Uh-huh. And uh, and more humble bragging, uh, they have just sold the German rights to uh, uh, Surkamp Verlag uh-huh. and the UK rights to Pushkin Press. And that that just happened this last that last one. They just got the word that it's okay to announce this week. So I'm actually extremely happy. Of course, because of who I am, this nameless um, heroine turned out to you know believe in in justice and. Homes for homeless people, <laughs> whatever, mm-hmm. right? So, so some, um, some of your own background on social work obviously works into this. Yeah, and and I live in an inner city neighborhood, um, so I I uh, I kind of it's a nameless city as well, but it has a lot in common with my city. But I also threw in threw in some little name checks. Like when I first started writing, I had her living in the in an apartment building, which you or I would call the epitome apartment but everyone in the neighborhood called the epitome. And, <laughs> and the the secret knowledge about this is that that's where Judy Merrill lived when I met her. Oh, really? She lived in Toronto in an apartment, a tiny little apartment in the in the epitome apartments uh, at college. And, and, um, well, one of, the, w- w- one of my small claims, to, my only claim to fame in the mystery genre was once when Robert Parker was in town, I was on a radio show with him every year or so. And he was writing a Spencer story, which was set partly in Chicago. And I was driving him back to the hotel, which is the Ambassador West, as it turns out, which is near a street, which every it's, it's anybody in literature would pronounce it Goethe. But everybody in Chicago pronounces it Gothi, uh, all the cab <laughs> drivers. And he was so pleased that he knew that because that was an inside bit of Chicago lore that he could put into the novel, which he did. Mm-hmm. Where Hawk explains to Spencer how you pronounce Gothi. But what else have you got that we might be watching out for? Well, um, a, a little over a year ago, I had a, a book of short stories come out from PS Publishing in Britain. Um, books, yeah. Uh, called Ice and Other Stories. And then um, The Adventures of Isabel is coming out. And the next two books in the series are called What's the Matter with Mary Jane? And then the third one is called He Wasn't There Again Today. So they're all... They all use nursery rhymes for uh-huh. um, chapter headings, um, and so that's how far. So that takes us to 2022. But I've also got a contract for a young adult novel that I wrote 
about an intersex teen. Um, well, actually starring an intersex teen. It's actually about their friendship with another kid. And, and um, there's a bit of a mystery in it too, but it's not a mystery novel. It's just the, uh, basically, <laughs> Sharon November called it a bin book. It's um, <laughs> one of the few things you can get locked up for these days is, is uh, I mean, anorexia, I like psych wards aren't what they used to be. Let's put it that way. I'm kids in for the same sets of things, but they will put them in for for weird kinds of psychotic behavior, uh, extremes of, of OCD, anorexia, and also, uh, in many cases, intersex kids have been labeled as as somehow gender dysphoric, although they didn't call it that, and and, uh, and locked up. So that's where the kids start out, and it's an epistolatory novel, so it's all letters and emails. That and uh, it's, it's, it is. I, I actually wrote it quite a few years, like 13 years ago. And I was totally surprised to discover this teenage voice insisting on coming out of my typewriter or, you know, my, my keyboard. Mm-hmm. Um, Some, or something I never pretty, thought. Sorry. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say it's uh, uh, you're having an absolute renaissance this year because I was thinking it's been more than 20 years since black wine and just about 20 years since the paradigm of earth that's right and now you've got like four or five things coming out in the next couple oh, i know terrific I know. but we're over yeah. our time i knew we would be oh uh, so well you and well, i will just... but anyway i wanted to again thank everybody for listening to uh, to this short coods treat podcast with candace jane dorsey this is gary wolf and thank you so much candace Oh, it was delightful as always, and thank you very much for calling me.